I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. This week on Routine Checkup, Brian and Taylor sit down with Laura Siren. She's the president and CEO of Diabetes Canada. Let's talk about it. Well, we're sitting down today with a new friend, Laura Siren. Laura Siren, um, we are so happy to be sitting down with you today. This has been, um, we've been looking, for this, looking forward to this conversation um, all month. Laura is the president and CEO of Diabetes Canada, the nation's most trusted provider of diabetes education, research, resources, and services working to improve the quality of life of people living with diabetes. A noble endeavor. Um, Thank you, Laura, for sitting down with us. Um, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us um, a little bit about um, you and the work that you are working towards at Diabetes Canada. Sure. Well, first of all, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, really excited to be here. Uh, so I, as you said, am president and CEO of Diabetes Canada. Uh, next month, June, I, that'll be my third year um, as uh, uh, running this organization. Uh, I wear two hats running this organization. First, I am president and CEO, but second, I'm a person who lives with type 2 diabetes. Um, and so for me, I bring both those perspectives uh, to all my work at Diabetes Canada. Um, and uh, and my diagnosis was only about six years ago. So I'm okay. still early in my journey. And, uh, I, I learn a lot every day, <laughs> um, you know, that, that helps me in that journey too. Um, Diabetes Canada has been around about 70 years. Um, wow. and, uh, and you probably know back in 2021, that was the hundredth anniversary of the discovery of insulin. Oh, um, and wow. so Banting was, um, had the idea of insulin, uh, and, uh, and in, in you know, 1921 and, Later on in the 40s and 50s, he helped start what was then called the Canadian Diabetes Association. So wow. we were across the country, um, everywhere but Quebec. Uh, in Quebec, there is Diabet Quebec, which is its own organization, but we collaborate and do much work together. And really what we're there for is to serve people who live with diabetes. Um, and that is... Uh, all different kinds of diabetes to help give them information. We do a lot of training with healthcare professionals. We fund scientific research and we do a lot of advocacy with governments to try to make sure that access to medication, access to services um, is there. And I'm sure we'll get into some of that as we talk. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I'm, I feel like it is probably bad that I don't know this, but you mentioned, is it uh, Banting is the, the person who discovered uh, insulin? Yeah, so Dr. Frederick Banting um, was actually a family physician um, in London, Ontario, and actually kind of a failing family physician. He, he wasn't getting a lot of patients uh, when he, he moved to London. And uh, so he got asked to teach at Western University. And one fateful night, um, and... Uh, we actually, Diabetes Canada owns his home in London. It's a historic site. Oh, and you whoa, can go cool. and visit Banting House in London. And you can actually go to the bedroom where he woke up. He had been seeing patients with diabetes. He'd been thinking, they'd asked him to teach at Western on the pancreas. And he literally had a eureka moment where he woke up at 1230 in the night and wrote down the idea for insulin. Oh, and no you can actually way. see that in the bedroom. Um, and so now then that's, so what we say is that's where the idea of insulin started. He then moved back to Toronto and worked with Dr. Banting, Dr. McLeod and Dr. Uh, Collip to the four of them then worked in labs 
in University of Toronto to actually, you know, produce, discover, test, all of that. So because at that time, thank God uh, this doesn't exist now, at that time before insulin, it was actually a terminal illness. Right. Um, and so if you, because what diabetes is basically is that your body either can't produce insulin, like your pancreas literally can't make it. That's called type one or juvenile diabetes. Like literally it doesn't make it. Or like in my case, something screwed up. <laughs> it doesn't make it well. Yeah. Right. And it doesn't, it, it doesn't shoot it out at the right times or it shoots out too much or not enough or whatever. So to be really simple about it at that point, there was nothing. So what they used to do was put people on a starvation diet, basically, because if you weren't putting food in, your body wasn't reacting, the pancreas wasn't trying to shoot insulin out. Right. But basically, if you've ever seen pictures of diabetics, I mean, they're just skin and bones, and then eventually they died. Wow. So insulin, like, truly game changer. Like, because yeah. literally, and you've probably seen the historic moments, you know, like those little, what are those heritage moments, heritage you know, moments. the yeah. moon calls or whatever, um, <laughs> yeah. about where how, there was the first patient and what a brave mom who said, okay, inject my son. Yeah, that's amazing. And, yeah, and he was in a coma and then essentially came out of the coma. What a wonderful, that's, a, this is such Whoa. a great little, uh, great little, uh, history lesson. Cause I, I, cause now that you mentioned the heritage moment, I was like, man, I'm sure there's a heritage moment on this, but I'm there not is. like, I'm not <laughs> like, it's not, I, we were, we actually were just talking to somebody who had, uh, who has seizures due to a brain tumor yesterday. Mm. And we were, we were talking about the heritage moment, like the I smell burnt toast heritage moment. Mm. And so I couldn't get that out of my head when I was, <laughs> when I was thinking <laughs> about it. Um, wow. That is, uh. That is amazing. It really does remind me. So, um, our our third our third co-host who's not here with us today, Jeremy, lives with cystic fibrosis, and it really does remind me of like a lot of, um, sort of like where C CF is sort of like going. Like I feel like yes. CF is kind of like lagging behind diabetes in terms of treatment, but now there's this drug Trikafta, yes. which treats the sort of like the root source, um, which is the 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 malfolded protein. Which would be akin to the the um, lack the, of the lack of insulin, yeah. um, or the or the or the complete lack of insulin, depending on what type of diabetes you have, um, and understanding that that is the mechanism through which this disease is operating, and figuring that out, and being being able to start treating that root, because um, exactly. now we're seeing people with CF just have a completely different experience with their CF, where they are able to in a lot of ways, largely bypass a lot of the symptoms and stuff. I mean, they still have to manage and deal with the disease, but it's in a way different way than before we had this treatment and understanding sort of like the mm -hmm. genetic stuff. Bri, you, you, you said before we started recording there that you've got, do, do, have we touched on your, your questions? I'm, I don't think we did. And I'm, I'm burning to no, know what you're, what you were going to ask. I, I'm curious <laughs> what you think I was going to ask because, um, you actually, Laura, you, you answered it in the best way possible, which is, so I always struggle to remember the difference between type mm. one and type two diabetes. Mm. And you, you put it into such a easy to understand and simple way, but I do have a question about insulin. So now that I understand that type one is no insulins produced at all. And type two is something happens and then your body doesn't produce it as efficiently or, or there's a lack of it. Yeah. Um, so when, what, like, what does insulin do in your body and how does that affect someone who is born with it immediately? And then as someone with type two, as they develop it, um, throughout their life. Yeah. And it, gr great question. And I'll answer it. And then I will actually say, we're starting to also see people get type one as adults. So oh, what really? the heck is going on there? Cause I always thought that that was like, you were born with it. Well, it was called juvenile diabetes, right? right. And, yeah. and so, which is why people are calling it more now type one. Um, we actually have someone on our board who got diagnosed in, in her early fifties with type Whoa. one. Yeah. And so anyway, so basically what insulin does, if you want to think about it really simply is, you know, you eat and sugar gets released into your bloodstream, right? And and if you don't have a regulator, almost think of it as a regulator. If you don't have a regular, things will shoot up and shoot down. If I, I, I wear a monitor, and mm -hmm. um, and and so I can actually see. Uh, not that your 
but I, I don't like this is my blood sugar shooting up and down. Okay, yeah, cool. From yeah, what yeah. I'm eating. Yeah. Right. And so what's happening is like your blood sugar goes up. And what happens is your body goes, oh, wait a minute. Too much blood sugar, not good. Pancreas, please shoot out enough insulin to moderate it. Mm-hmm. Okay. If, because what happens if you have um, high blood sugar all the time, sadly, you know, and I, I say this knowing this could be my fate if I don't do things well. Um, it's kind of what you're saying about Jeremy, like there's still complications. Mm-hmm. If you have sustained high blood sugar, if I don't manage my diabetes well, there are five main things that can happen to me. First of all, I can go blind, okay? Because high blood sugar actually eats into your retina. Whoa. Okay, so if you don't basically watch, you know, are managing that well, so, and it's, you know, knock on wood, I'm not going to go there, but it's the most profound kind of adult blindness. Okay. So, uh, so the second thing is your kidneys have to filter. So you, I don't know if, you know, but your kidneys are your filter, right? Say you go out and you have a a few beers or whatever. And the next, like your kidneys are working hard to, to get that, um, alcohol out. Well, if it's always working hard to get your blood sugar out, essentially your kidneys start to fail. And the number one reason people have to get on dialysis and have to go and have that treatment is diabetes. The third thing is you um, you start losing sensation in your hands and feet because your heart is it's harder to pump. It's more tired from trying to regulate all that. So you see people with amputations. You've probably seen people who have lost legs to diabetes, that kind of stuff. Um, it's the last two are not fun either. It, 40% of all heart attacks in this country are from diabetics who have high blood sugar and 40 percent and wow. 30% of all strokes. Wow. So, so there's my future for me if I don't manage it well. Now the good news is if I manage it well through medication, through lifestyle, through, you know, now my new technology that really helps me, mm-hmm. um, then I can either delay those complications or mm. ideally not even have no, them. Yeah. Right. But, but that if, because my insulin is funny, it, I need help modulating. Mm. And if I don't have that help modulating, then all those bad things happen. <laughs> what's um what's really, I, so I'm, I'm reading a, um I'm reading a book right now um, by a guy named Peter Tia and he, the, the quick synopsis is he's, Basically, it's a it's a book on on longevity and everything, and he's basically saying, in in, in a nutshell, we've got we've we've sort of like developed these incredible medications that treat infection, and this has enabled us to on mass live much longer lives. And yeah. because we're living much longer lives, we are now facing what he calls the four horsemen, which are heart disease, diabetes, cancer, and uh, neurodegenerative diseases. And in his book, he kind of breaks down. He he has a chapter and focuses in on on each of these. And so he goes really deep on um, on diabetes and insulin and like the mechanism of insulin and everything, and which I found so fascinating. And there's a piece in there about just how just how small of a margin you have in your entire body, like how how much of a margin you have to move within like these certain goalposts of blood glucose in yep. order to stay within what we would say is um, you know normal or typical. And it's something like. I can't remember because it was towards the, the the beginning of the book, and I'm towards the end now. But it was something like the difference of the difference of your your blood glucose is totally normal versus you have diabetes was like the difference at any given moment of like a quarter teaspoon of blood spread out through your entire mm. vascular system. Like it's mm. like it's like your so it was he was basically saying your body is constantly making these like micro regulations you are depending on this mechanism in your body to be doing these like micro adjustments like it's so fine-tuned it's so fine-tuned and just this like small difference puts you from your you don't have to anything to worry about versus you have diabetes or pre-diabetes and you need to you know be on medication you need to make Mm -hmm. some lifestyle changes or whatever it might be to, um, to tie that into the the points that you're making of of like what could go wrong over time, Laura, if if you aren't managing um, your diabetes, are those the types of things that that show up as symptoms that might lead to somebody being 
diagnosed with like type two diabetes, let's say. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, hopefully you would catch it earlier than that. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, you know, <laughs> but for example, absolutely. Um, I go to have my eyes checked every year um, because it could damage my eyes. Well, absolutely. We hear about people going for their regular eye exam and the doctor's like, um, we're seeing a little bit of damage here. Have you been checked for diabetes? Or people might complain when I go for my three-month checkup, they have to take my shoes off and they poke my feet. Why are they doing that? To see if there's sensation there. So again, someone might be at their physical and they're poking the feet and they're like, nope, not feeling that. Ding, ding, ding. You, you might, you know, maybe there's something going on here. That may be a, you know, what a doctor would call a clinical clue mm -hmm. that, that there's something going on. Also, hopefully what's happening is if you have diabetes in the family, because there is a hereditary, now I don't, so I, you know, it's not always, but hopefully, and you're starting to feel very thirsty all the time, mm. or you're, you're getting, um, as you said, stuff on your feet or your eyes are funny. You know, you're just thinking, wow, all of a sudden my vision really went, not blind, but just harder to see and stuff. That, that's exactly, you go talk to your family doctor. And well, really, part of the issue, of course, is not everybody has one. <laughs> to totally. I'm in, I'm in that boat. Um, I, I said this a bunch of times on the podcast before, but I, I was, I had a family doctor for the first 30 years of my life and then he retired. Yeah. And now in Nova Scotia, we have a wait list of like 150,000 people who are waiting for family doctors. So it's a, it's a, it's a tough situation. Um, I'm curious for you, like what, what, what were the symptoms that you first experienced that led to your diagnosis six years ago? Yeah. So none, at least that I knew of. So my story uh, is, you know, still a little bit hard to tell, to be totally honest with you. So I had a family doc, she had to go on a leave. So I had a number of sort of stand-ins, like I was in a family practice. So I, you know, I was lucky I had one. But because of that, they hadn't been doing my regular blood work for a couple of years. I had a pretty stressful family situation. Stress can definitely add to accelerating things in diabetes. And so I just went for my annual physical. This time, the doctor who was a stand-in had done blood work. And I'll never forget, I'm sitting there just thinking she's going to say, oh, everything looks great. My blood pressure's always been great. My cholesterol's always been great. And she turns in her chair. And in a not very nice way, he goes, <clears throat> so you have diabetes. Oh, wow. Whoa. And I didn't even, like, I, I didn't even know what to do with, like, I wasn't working at diabetes at the time. There's no diabetes in my family. Part of my first reaction was a, a real mix of, I don't even know what that means. Like, like if someone mm -hmm. said you have cancer or you have Parkinson's or you have like, I, I didn't know, like, does that mean I'm going to die? Like, do I have a short, like, I, I literally don't know. But also I'm like, like, why would you just say that to me? <laughs> like, yeah, like, was no, there yeah. no, like, I don't know. No one was there with me. I said, and so I just was stunned for a minute and she goes, Oh, you didn't know. I said, N -n no. Uh, and she goes, Oh, they hadn't been telling you your A1Cs. That's the measure of your blood glucose has been going. I go, I don't even know what an A1C is. <laughs> like, what, what do you, what? And so she goes, well, you have diabetes and you need to get on medication and you need to do this. And, need, and I had to say like, slow down. I, I don't even understand what you just told me. Um, and so I actually refused medication. I said no. And, and then I started, to be honest, to feel a lot of um, shame. I, I was like, oh, my God, I'm overweight. Oh, I should have been doing half marathons. I should have been working <laughs> out more. Oh, I should this. I should that. So I just said, no, no, I, I want to try lifestyle. I didn't even know what that meant. And she was like, do you want to, um, you know, see our dietitian?" I said, no, no, I, I, I know what I'm doing. And then I just left and got on the subway and I came home and my husband was like, so how was your, your checkup? I said, I have diabetes. He's like, what? And he's like, what are you going to do about it? I said, I'm not even going to think about it. He's like, what are you talking about? I said, I can't, I can't, like, it was just, I couldn't deal. And then he said, uh, let me 
call my mom. My parents have passed a long time ago. And he goes, let me call my mom to tell her. Maybe she has some ideas. I go, don't you dare tell anyone. I said, I, 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 I feel like this is on me. Hmm. So then for the next three months, I tried to work out more. I tried to eat. Of course, it was just a totally stupid way of doing it all. I go back, nothing had changed, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, it hadn't really. And then we started to have more and I asked to see the dietitian and stuff. But I have to be honest, guys, I still struggle with it because there was a lot of belief out there. There's a lot of misunderstanding that especially type two, not type one, but type two, that somehow you brought it on yourself. Mm -hmm. Right. And that you failed. And I'm a bit of an A type personality. I don't like to fail at things. Um, And, and I was just like, I don't know. And certainly the way it was presented, if someone had been, so some of the work we do at Diabetes Canada is to really help healthcare professionals um, understand how one might broach this subject, um, you know, in, in a slightly more, you know, well, interestingly, your blood sugars are higher. This might be a result of da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. And you've actually passed a threshold that we would call diabetes. But let's explain that to you. There's pre-diabetes and there's like just some context. Yeah. Versus what I felt was a label. Mm-hmm. Right. And and uh so so that was that was me six years ago. And actually part of when the job opened, when they were looking for a CEO at Diabetes Canada, I thought. I, I want to do this. I, I've been in charity work for about 25 years now. Um, I started in business, but wanted to get into charities. And, um, and I just thought, oh my God, there has to be, so, there's so much to do here. Like if, back to our earlier thing, if Dr. Banting were alive today, he would be very dismayed. The rate of diabetes in this country, despite insulin, is just on a straight upward trajectory i mean i saw on the website it's like it's like 11 million 11 million people in canada i mean that's uh, 11.9 like one in four more than one in four people yeah now that's pre-diabetes and diabetes so um the way i kind of like to the the analogy i like with the guys that because it helps me it's simple is think if diabetes were a pool okay in canada there's 11.9 people either sitting at the edge of the pool. Those are pre-diabetics. Mm. Okay. Th- that's a little over 6 million people. So they got their feet dangling in. They've been told they're pre or they may not have been told that they're pre-diabetic. Right. You know, but they are got their feet dangling. It isn't going to take much for them to slip into the pool. Okay. Then there's people like me who are actually in the pool. Okay. There's 5.7 million of us. 5.7 million Canadians in the pool. And of that 5.7 in the pool, 1.7 don't even know. They're literally walking around with diabetes. Whoa. Is that a function? Because this is something that, that again, is really is talked about a lot in the book I'm reading, which is, um, which is sort of um, what he is coming at it as like a, as like a bit of a failure of our medical system yeah. to, to like adequately screen and inform people that they are heading towards something exactly that if given enough time and notice is it can be can be um avoided reversed yeah and reversed a hundred percent like uh, if someone uh, my story like if if a couple years before the diagnosis if someone had said hey you're you're sitting on the edge of the pool yeah your yeah. numbers like let let's just explain to you uh you know that here's this and you've gone into this range which we would call pre-diabetic and then if you get over this range and by the way once you cross that threshold it's just a it's it's not impossible but it's harder to come back so Mm -hmm. doing some work now and by the way and you know if someone had said also at the time this is not your fault right right yes this is not your fault and right now if we take some action together and work on this you will stay at the edge of the pool, mm-hmm. right? And and instead of being in the pool. And what I'm trying to do now, guys, is I'm in the shallow end. Okay, I'm on what they call oral medications. So I'm not on insulin yet. Okay. And I don't have complications. But the pool analogy works because if you're not getting treated with diabetes, those 4 million, quite a few of them are unfortunately in the deep end of the pool, right? Mm-hmm. And so... 
um, that that's to me how I explain. So it's 11.9 just either at the edge of the pool or in the pool. And then of course, as you see the numbers, the rest of Canada say there's 38 million, right? Like mm. 26 million. A lot of them are marching towards the pool. Yeah. It's yeah. Al- it's almost like the plugs out in the pool and the drain is just like sort of sucking people in. Uh, I mean, it's a really great analogy that you used to describe that it paints a really, um, um, sort of stark picture of of the reality of the situation that we're in. I'm I'm curious too, like you, you mentioned that there's a, a the trend is increasing too and and more people have been getting diagnosed. Why why is that happening? Yeah. So that's a complicated answer. I mean some of the simple stuff is um that what we were talking about earlier, as people live longer past other diseases, they're getting things, right? So, you know, if you had died of a heart attack in your 40s, you wouldn't be around in your 50s or 60s to get something else. Second, our built environment and our food environment does not encourage healthy living. Yeah. Yeah. Okay? We just so, had uh we just had um the author of a book called Ultra Processed People on the show um yesterday, the day before, to talk about this. And it's it's crazy the way that transnational food companies engineer food to be so addictive and it's unregulated and just allowed. Um, I was saying like, I eat like, you know, six pieces of bread in the morning. I think the important point full. there, Bri, in that conversation was, was also that, that is the, the nature of food that we would never think to think that it's not healthy. Yeah. Right. Right. Was like, right. like, like this, like, like, like a, yeah. like a 12 grain bread. And right. Be, and being right. like, cause you and, think, well, that's a healthy breakfast. Totally. Right. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, no. And, and actually one of the benefits to me of some of the technology is that I can actually see in live time. I try something that I think is healthy and it goes, whoop, uh, okay. So not so healthy. Right. Like in, and you could sort of test your way, Crazy. but even like, if you say to someone, um, you know, my dietitian says to me, she sees all the time, like people said, you know, please eat more fruit and vegetables. They go with what money? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. With what yeah. money? Like I, I, in fact, she told me an interesting story uh, that during COVID, which of course exacerbated this too, people were less active. People were ordering in a lot more people, you know, cause even just Food going down to to the yeah you know the the numbers are going up but she said during covid it was so interesting you know she had her clients come and my team is in downtown toronto just at, and uh she said they were like you know how the dietitians show you the plastic fruit and vegetables like you should eat more grapes and here's what a plate looks like and all that and she said it was so interesting when she started doing them on zoom with people she would say why don't you take me to your cupboard and mm. we can look like live time and she goes, Laura, the biggest thing was there was almost no food in the cupboard. And she's like, here I am just going, blathering on to people about the plastic apple and this and that. And we've just, from a health perspective, what am I saying to people who really can't actually act on this advice? Mm-hmm. Right? Like what? So, but, but it's also physical, right? Like if we're building neighborhoods that don't have sidewalks. If we're building neighborhoods where you have to drive, they're what's called food deserts, you know, where, yeah. where you can't go to a green grocer, you know, or, or whatever. So it, it, there's many factors. There's also genetic factors, right? Not sure why are more adults getting type one? What's happening there? And, and science isn't quite sure why that's happening. Someone's pancreas has been working really well and all of a sudden it's not <laughs> mm. right. And it's turned off. And again, a lot of the uh, genetic research about CF cancer is also really helping other diseases. Is there a gene that's somehow getting turned off? Right. Right. And then if it is, could it be turned back on? Right. And mm. this is a, a very important reason that we fund research yeah. Uh, because, um, you know, there's, I mean, if you want to go back to the pool analogy, if we could cure diabetes, we would just drain the pool. Yeah. Yeah. And all of us in the pool 
it would be great because yeah. <laughs> I'd no longer be in the water, but you know, they're very different diseases, right? Type one, type two, it's, it's comp- There's also gestational diabetes. So that's where, you know, a pregnant woman will get it. And increasing research shows that uh, those women are 50% more likely to go on and develop type two. And that's very common, isn't it? Gestational diabetes. It's very common. Right. Yeah. And before it was, I think really without research, it was sort of understood as, okay, we got to watch it while you're pregnant but then it all goes away. And what we're learning is it doesn't all go away. And we're trying to figure out which women are more susceptible. And then interestingly, some of the longer studies are now showing that the kids from those pregnancies Ah. may be more apt to get type two diabetes. Wow. Hi, I'm Jesse Cruikshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. It's it's really a fascinating the thing that the thing that you said um a, a few minutes ago and 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 kind of tying to the conversation that we had with um um Chris Van Tolken um, um who wrote Ultra Processed People is like is the conversations and made me think a lot of, about this because I I often fail to I often fail to factor this in enough into my thinking is when we have interventions um, or proactive behaviors that we know can help, but kind of fail to think about the reality of the access that people have to those yeah. to those interventions and, and proactive behaviors. It's like, yeah, like, I mean, and and I take it for granted. I'm 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 fairly well off financially. I have I I have um i i have I've been an active person my whole life. I don't really think about it from the point of like. I don't think about it from the perspective of taking care of myself. I more so think about it as fun. Um, and then, and, and, but that's all, all sort of like underlying a, you know, like a middle-class upbringing where I just had, yep. I just always sort of had access to those things and the vast number of people that do not or, exactly. or, or, or don't have that in their background. So starting those things is like getting over the peak of a mountain rather than just getting over a speed bump. Um, in terms of exercise or different or, or eating differently or whatever it might be. Or even um, understanding what you've been told you have because you speak English. Right. You aren't a newcomer. So because, you know, we have lots of newcomers who get diagnosed. But yeah, sure. That's not going to be the top of my priority. I, I got to get a job. I got to put food on the table. Like it's not about me. Right. So I'm very conscious of that you know, there's a lot of privilege I have in managing my disease and it's still hard to manage my disease. Yeah. So can you imagine how hard it is when you don't have those access points? Um, and how the system you- isn't set up. I mean, that listen to what you guys were talking about with family docs. Yeah. You know, that that's really oh impactful because diabetes is one of those diseases that's a bit different than CF or cancer. Yes, you have a specialist, like you have what's called an endocrinologist, but actually the majority of most people's care, especially type 2, and type 2 are 90% of all diabetes, okay, is type 2, it's actually the family doc Mm -hmm. and you. Okay, it's very different. If you got diagnosed, God forbid, with cancer, like you're going for your chemo, you're going for your radiation, you're going for surgery, and experts are managing that when you get a diagnosis of diabetes, like my doctor just said, you have diabetes. It's like, here's some pills. You Good luck, man. my you friend. Yeah. <laughs> and you're it, like, uh, so if you don't have, if you can't get to a doctor, what are you doing? Yeah. Mm-hmm. In, in terms of, um, of costs and managing your disease, like, uh, you, you mentioned that you, you're on an oral medication. I've seen like the range of friends who have di- diabetes have like the range of tools and things to to manage their insulin intake um like the pumps and meters and all of those things um what type of 
coverage is available for those types of things? And like, how do people qualify to get those things? Mm-hmm. How does that work? Yeah, uh, great question. And uh, it really depends what province you live in, in, is the answer. Because in Canada, well, the federal government plays some role in healthcare and an important role. And recently, for example, the federal government approved a new framework for diabetes in Canada. But really, the delivery of healthcare is by province. So, in fact, what you guys would be covered in Halifax would be different than what I'm covered here in Ontario, would be different. So, one of the big roles of Diabetes Canada, a very important role, is our advocacy. And one of the major things we advocate for is access to devices and medication. So, um, because if you're type one, we just actually um, looked at out of pocket costs. If you live with type one, depending on what province you live in, it can cost you out of pocket, even after government programs, $18,000 a year. Wow. Okay, to be covered. Type two, more like 10,000. Okay, that's out of pocket. That That's not now. So if you have an employer that covers it, that's, you're really lucky. Right. What what are those things that are that are not that are not um, like government healthcare um, covered? Yeah. So uh, again, really depends by province. A sure. lot of the devices. Right. Okay. Like so glucose the monitors continuous glucose. I keep wanting here. Continuous yeah. glucose monitors. The insulin pumps. If you're on insulin with type one or type two. Mm-hmm. Um, even in the old-fashioned way, which some people really still do for cost reasons, pricking the fingers. Mm-hmm. You have the strips and you have the test strips. You have needles for insulin. That's not always covered. And then, of course, medication. So I just went on a higher level medication, for example, and my plan covered, it's quite expensive. My plan covered 90% of it. My husband's plan declined the other 10%. They have to get a specialist letter because it's very expensive. And unless I have bad diabetes and, you know, so we have to go through this rigmarole, but again, we have bad diabetes, like let it get, let's let it get worse before we help. Don't you want to, um, you know, see, but, but actually it's very interesting. Insurance companies um, are reaching out to us. Now they are seeing such an uptick in costs related specifically to diabetes medication. Um, and I just saw a stat before I came on here that um, diabetes medications are the fastest growing. There was over a 20% increase in the number of prescriptions around diabetes medications in this country last year. Wow. I mean, I've seen it in the news recently. I mean, this is specifically for the U.S. I didn't, I'm not sure if, if this is also in Canada, issues around insulin supply um, and access to it and people, yes. people rationing insulin. Yeah. Much less here. Thank God. Yeah. Um, you know, some people do, um, you know, depending, but for the most part, but in the States uh, now, this is a very hot topic right now. And I, and in the States and three of the major companies were just brought before the Senate to explain their high prices right, because yeah. rationing insulin Oh my God. It, it, it's like playing with fire. Cause remember what, what it's doing, right? Like, so you need the insulin you need. So if you're giving yourself half of what you need, you, you know that your eyes are being damaged and your kidneys being damaged. Like you, but you can't afford to go days without insulin. Like it's crazy. So we, we don't wow. have that here. Um, Thank God. Yeah. We were we were talking um a little bit before we recorded about Ozempic and I'm um, I'm curious about that um 20% What's increase Ozempic? in in <laughs> Sorry, in, I, uh, I couldn't help myself. 20, 20% <laughs> increase in in diabetes medication. I'm assuming that's not from like off label uses of things like No, Ozempic. I mean it, you know again I don't know all what goes into that. It would certainly be more people being diagnosed and actually being getting on oral or insulin. Uh, it would be people like me getting on new and different medications. So f- like, for example, I'm just not on a diabetes medication. At some point they then had to put me on a cholesterol medication. Cause again, the more they can manage things now, if I manage my cholesterol and it's all preventative, 
then I have much less chance of a heart attack or a stroke. Mm-hmm. Right. And they know that there's a connection between the diabetes. So again, someone might have been, you know, part of this 20%. They might have just been on one medication and now they might be on two right. as a way to try to prevent it. So um yeah. And the and the Ozempic thing, I mean, we were talking a little bit about it before. Um and uh it, it's it's a great drug, right? It's it's labeled like it's approved here in Canada for the treatment of diabetes and it's an innovation uh in in doing that so that's great i i don't happen to be on it uh but i know lots of type twos who are um but it also has the side effect of a lot of weight loss Mm. um which is important in managing diabetes as well so that's good um in the states not here in canada there has been uh, a real run on people who aren't diabetic using Ozempic to manage weight. And managing weight is an important health goal in itself. Um, the issue is, you know, if are you going to have shortages of that, which is what they're experiencing in the States. Mm. And so the people who it was really designed for don't have it. Here in Canada, um, at this point in time, and we don't see it, we're working very closely with the federal government, keeping an eye on the supply. There is no shortage here. Everybody who you know, uh, who's diabetic and needs Ozempic is uh, finding that uh, able to find it. But, you know, there was an incident about a month ago in BC where U.S. doctors were actually having it shipped from BC pharmacies oh, to wow. the U.S. Interesting. And so we worked with the BC government to help identify who those pharmacies were and make sure that stopped. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And again, so we, when we say do advocacy and government relations, it's across the board. It's uh, we work very closely with the government on monitoring situations like that. Cause again, we're here to serve people who live with diabetes and yeah. we mm-hmm. want people to be able to access the medications that they need. So mm-hmm. um, I'm uh, I'm, I'm super interested in tying a little bit of what we um, of something, something that you, that will, that's kind of like threaded its way through our entire conversation here. Um, is I I know that it was in our it was it was in what we sort of like got before our interview in terms of like what is a really big goal of yours and of of Diabetes Canada in terms of like reducing stigma and yeah. the idea that like this is your fault um and that this is like you brought this on and so I'm interested in how from like a communication standpoint or an education standpoint how you sort of walk that line of of trying to reduce stigma and at the same time try to convey that like uh that nutrition and exercise mm-hmm. and things that are you know in a lot of ways the responsibility of a of a person yeah um like how you how you thread that needle cuz those two things are yeah. very very yep. sticky together they um, are. and i imagine mm-hmm. that that is quite uh, a challenge to convey both things at the same time yeah uh, it's it's a, a really important insight because it's not one or the other, right? I mean, it, it you know, I this morning just spent an hour on my Peloton. Why am I doing that? Like, not because I love exercise. I don't find it fun like you do, but <laughs> I need to manage my diabetes and I need to put in the work. And And so you can't sort of say, oh, let's just not say there are things an individual can do. On the other hand, what I would say, here's how we try to thread the needle is, first of all, by getting people to understand a bit more about what diabetes is. Like, I actually think my reaction when she said, you have diabetes, like there was sort of a blank. Like, I didn't know what that meant, right? I didn't know, um, oh, okay, so what is diabetes? Okay, diabetes is, you know, where you're having trouble managing your blood sugar, there's a couple kinds there. So part of it, I think, is explaining to folks uh, what it is, because I think there's there's just some real misunderstanding of, oh, yeah, diabetes is a disease that fat people get, you know, mm-hmm. uh, or, oh, don't kids get that? Like, mm-hmm. I, I know, you know, my son had a friend in school who had that and he couldn't eat cake. Okay, that's not like if that's your understanding of the disease, it needs to be a little broader than that, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and and so helping and and certainly also in different communities here in Canada, we have a lot of different cultures 
and a lot of different and people of uh, from black communities are at higher risk. People from South Asian communities are at higher risk. People from indigenous communities. And there's very different understandings of what diabetes is and and um, some real stigma around that too. So I think the first answer to your question is, is trying to explain a bit more what it is so that people have a bit more nuanced understanding. I think the second thing is to start talking to people about, um, especially with type one, what I've heard people say is, oh, okay, I get it now, Laura, but like, isn't there insulin? Like, what's the big deal? There, there's no understanding of this is a long-term disease. It's very like CF in this way. Like, like it, there's a long-term disease that the person now has to manage mm -hmm. and it can be exhausting to manage. And people get yeah, that yeah. a bit more with kids, right? They do get, oh my gosh, those poor parents before there was technology, they're waking their kids up, they're pricking their fingers, mm -hmm. they're at school, they're worried. Like they kind of yeah. get that, but I don't think they realize that, you know, for example, for as, you know, say 30 years ago, this was something that we worked very hard to have Canada. If you were a type one person, you couldn't be a firefighter. Oh, wow. You couldn't fly wow. a plane. Whoa. You couldn't do jobs because you thought you were disabled. And what if you had an episode or something? And we worked hard to advocate for those folks to be able to have. So there's been stigma and misunderstanding quite systemically yeah, yeah. <laughs> about the diseases, right? And then I think the last thing is, is it, if you almost think, here's how I like to think about it, is if you think about AIDS in the 80s or mental health in the 90s, I think bringing it out of the closet, so to speak, and and just and really sort of saying, well, there's been a shift in mental health. People understand now with Bell, let's talk, and that doesn't mean people don't have to take care of their own mental health. Of course they do. Yeah. Right. It it doesn't right. take doesn't mean you you know you shouldn't see a therapist or be on your medication or be doing your cognitive. You still need to do the work, but we also need not put on you that you need to hide it mm. or be ashamed of it or get fired because of it. I mean, we have people, we have a 1-800 line. We have people calling that they've been turned down for jobs because once they disclose that they have uh, diabetes, people say, well, there's another candidate who will be cheaper on my benefits program. Yeah. Whoa. Wow. Yeah, man, that stigma is like, I, I, I remember um, when my wife was pregnant um, we, we were going through IVF treatment, uh, or sorry, I guess we had already gone through IVF treatment and she was pregnant. Um, and she was actively looking for a new job. And I just remember the anxiety that she was facing being like, I'm pregnant and I'm looking for a job. And like, yep. I, I, I am daily feeling the, the pressure to be like, well, if it's me or the other person and they know one's pregnant and going off work and the other one's not like, exactly. what, like, like this is what I'm facing. And I, and I just remember just feeling so horrific about the fact that that's something that you need to worry about. The, the stress and the mental health side of it is really striking for me. I know that in our um, discord community, um, uh, we have, we have, we hear from people all the time who have kids with diabetes um, who, who talk about the challenges that they face as parents trying yes. to manage their kids' diabetes. And, and it's huge. like it, something that has always stuck with me is when my mom had cancer um, and she went through treatment and she finished her treatment. She said the hardest part wasn't going through the physical treatment. It was the mental health impacts that, that her cancer had on her. And, and I think when we think about illnesses that affect us physically, it's, it's really easy to think about the physical impact that they have and forget about the fact that it takes a, a significant toll on us mentally, especially chronic illnesses that we have to you know, manage for the rest of our lives. Yep. And, and especially if you feel you have to hide it mm -hmm. there for cultural reasons, we have people telling right. us, well, I don't want to tell my family and friends because when, if food is a very important part of your culture and you're going to come to a party, I don't want to tell like, Oh no, you can't have this or come on, eat this, eat this, you know, and you're like trying to say no. And, and so I, I think, Absolutely. I mean, we we have camps. One of the things we do is we run camps for kids who live with type 1 diabetes. And what we learned maybe about 20 years ago is we actually added family camps. So we do weekends where parents and the kids come together. It's just cool. over a weekend. But the bonding among the parents 
with other parents who get it is yeah. huge. Yeah. And I've had a chance to meet some of those parents because it is that mental, you know, when my kid's at school and I'm not there and if they're having a low, how is that being? And also in the, you know, if the kid can't afford a pump or doesn't have a pump, my kid has to inject. And other kids are like, what is that? Yeah. You know, and, and the kid is stigmatized. And, yeah. and so what does that, and again, the, this is how we have to, what we're calling at Diabetes Canada, change the conversation. Mm. We have to make people, again, it doesn't mean, to your question, doesn't mean individuals don't have to, you know, that kid still has to inject, the parents have to monitor the situations, but are we creating environments where that's more supported? Mm. And not well, stigmatized. A, anecdotally, um, uh, a, a funny story that I remember from my childhood is I remember being in a, a class in like grade three with a classmate of mine who had diabetes. And I remember there was like four of us that always used to like help um, <laughs> them when they were when they were doing their their pricks. And like one of us would like take their stuff to the garbage and one of us would like help lay with their <laughs> kit and stuff. And we'd like that's... always be a part of this like little like ceremony to, yeah. to, to do it with that's them. Very cute. But um, but I that's remember cool. when they got a pump, like the celebration of like yeah. all of us being I remember like, that to this too, day. I remember for, like how John's exciting brother. it was yeah. for Huge. them. Um, which is cool to think back and you know, I feel like in that moment, you know, for what it's worth, um, I felt like we came together as as yeah. kids around a friend who is, you know, doing this thing that like we didn't look at as being weird or we didn't think that they you know, about the disease that they were managing. We were just like, hey, like this is this yeah. cool, unique, interesting thing that we get to be part of because this person does this thing. And, and you hope that that's, you know, what do you, and you hope that for everybody, you hope that for everybody. Yeah, exactly. Unfor unfortunately, that's not, that's obviously not the case for right. everybody, yeah. but like as much as possible, you hope for it to be. And obviously that's part of the work that, that Diabetes Canada is doing. Um, I, I'm, I'm just really, I, 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 there's this, there's a question that I, that I wrote down here that I was like, maybe this doesn't fit at all, but we're, I feel like we're having a great conversation and like, and I'm just curious about whether this is, whether, whether this is on your radar or whether it's on the researcher's radar or just kind of like a, this, this little piece. And I apologize for the thousandth time to our audience for bringing up this book that I'm reading by Peter Tia. It's getting um, annoying. It is getting, it is, it is getting annoying. It's the fourth, third, third or fourth time in this conversation alone. Um, there's this little section that I was like, wow, that is crazy. It just, it kind of blew me away that he started talking about um, uh, something called NIMJU, which is non-insulin mediated glucose uptake, mm. which is, which is where he was like, he was talking about um, um, people with diabetes using, um, using exercise. Like it was like, a, it was a function of exercise. It was like kind of like one of the ways in which mm. exercise can help manage diabetes. Mm. Um, and he was saying that, um, basically he, he said it happens in two, th when you do two things, it happens when you do exercise and it happens when you, in, in a fasted state, I'm not even going to go mm. near the Pandora's box of fasting. Um, but with exercise, it was that, you know, even light exercise, like brisk, brisk walking can, um, induce a process where, where, uh, glucose can bypass the need for insulin to deliver glucose out of the bloodstream and into the, your, your muscle cells um, and allows glucose to just pass directly through the, the cell membrane into, into muscle tissue and, <laughs> and allows for people to um, not have to take as much insulin. Obviously, this mm -hmm. is going to be individual for, for people, um, but that he, he, was, he referenced a couple of people in his, um, in his clinic that um, live with type 1 diabetes where they are able to take a, a lower dose of insulin as a result of this function that is a result of, of exercise and like even really light exercise. It just was something that blew me away. And I was like, holy shit, that's, that's crazy. I've never even heard of that. Anyway, I'm just putting that out there. If anybody knows anything about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think um, this is partly why we do research um, and, and fund some amazing researchers because since we don't know all the mechanisms, you you uh, the more we can learn about the really basic cellular <laughs> mechanisms that are going on in the body with diabetes. Because my explanation is simple, but like you know, it, it's far more complex than that, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it's how we explain it to ourselves and stuff. But really, what's going on, and can you 
think of things like that. So for example, I was talking to a, a former chair who uh, lives with type two has for years and uh, sadly just recently got diagnosed with a cancer. It's going to be manageable and stuff. The chemo is actually reducing his need for insulin. Whoa, oh, that's interesting. And, and the people at the hospital are like, I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> you know, so again, this is not, you know, I, I'm not saying this as here's, you know, here's a treatment sure, at yeah. all or anything like that. What I'm saying is there's a lot of basic processes that I think, you know, if Banting did come back today, there's still so much hope for really getting, because we're doing so much more fundamental work in cancer, in, like in the body, right? The genetics and the yeah. proteomics and what's signaling and how to turn things on and off. That helps for many diseases, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And I think diabetes won't be an exception. And so draining that pool ultimately might happen, or it may be that in a sense, I I might live with diabetes, but it will be much more manageable it might be like you know people can survive cancer now mm -hmm. and and be in remission for a very long time mm -hmm. right and and so can that be where diabetes might be going and what yeah. does that look like and again different kinds of diabetes so different kind of mechanisms going on there right to to um to like sort of wrap this up and end this on a on on a, I on do a have, hopeful I, I do have a couple more questions there Brian, but Okay, we'll speed round them. We'll speed round them after this. Um, but because I'm, I'm, I'm so interested, I'm so fascinated by diabetes. Because like right now in this moment in time, because we've talked about um, Banting quite a few times, and you mentioned that um, earlier that if if Banting came back and saw what was going on now, it, you'd probably be pretty dismayed with the situation. Um, what gives you what gives you hope? Like if he came back right now and came in the door of of Diabetes Canada, and mm. you wanted to tell him about the incredible work that you're doing and the hope that you have for um, diabetes in Canada over the next 10 years. Um, what, what, what is there to be hopeful for? Mm -hmm. So I think two things. The first is that there have been a lot of innovation. So if, if I said to him, you know, look at my <laughs> continuous glucose monitor, he'd be like, what? <laughs> and if cool. I said there are pumps that people can have and now you know people don't have to wait he would be blown away oh, yeah. i think so the ability to do that or for example the research around the artificial pancreas what he would i think he'd be like so in other words the thing that's not working let's build a new one yeah and he'd be like really and i'd be like well we've built new hearts yeah, that's blowing my mind right like, now. You know, we have artificial <laughs> other organs and he would be blown away by that. I, I think the other thing is that um, I, I think he would say trying to get changes to the system, right? It, because again, there's so much you can do, you know, draining the pool and giving us technology. But I think we would say, you know, okay, Dr. Banting, actually in the year of your 100th anniversary discovery, the the feds, did a new national framework for diabetes. So it's getting the attention. And now we are working in each province to really talk about. So for example, um, we are having some wins recently on getting the age limits either removed or increased for coverage on these devices. Mm -hmm. And so we're saying, hey, listen, more people in Canada are realizing that people have to have access to these things. And yeah. so I think he would say, oh, okay, so people are noticing and you guys are actually changing the system, not just one drug. Insulin isn't a very important drug, but not just one drug in the system, but there's actually a systems approach. I think those would be the two things. Very cool. Um, there are two things that I want to touch on um, before we wrap up. Um, and one is something that I just didn't want to not, uh, to not touch on because, um, it is, it is so important. And like across the world is something that is, um, something that is affecting million, like hundreds of millions of people is heart disease and sort of, and, and where, where diabetes and heart disease sort of coincide, like what their mm -hmm. links are together and, um, maybe how, um, how, uh, how one increases the risk of another or heightens um, risk factors mm -hmm. and things like that. Mm -hmm. So very simply put, um, 
people with diabetes like myself, the if the blood sugar, if it's not managed well, we're putting a lot more strain on our heart. And we essentially, um, our cholesterol goes up. Um, not always sure why that's happening scientifically, but you know, when your cholesterol is up, your chance of heart disease is more. So often, basically the way to think about it is diabetes is a precursor mm. to heart disease. Right. Um, and, and a major cause of it. And that certainly true in Canada, but true around the world. So in fact, we do a lot together with Heart and Stroke Foundation mm -hmm. because they're both vascular diseases, vascular complications. And, and in fact, um, we're doing a Congress uh, in Montreal in October called the Vascular Congress. And, and for the first time, the Canadian Cardiovascular Society, so cardiologists across the country um, are saying, you know, if, if you went back 20 years ago, I might have had a few diabetics in my practice. And now some of the cardiologists are saying we're almost becoming diabetes doctors. Wow. Because we have so many diabetics now that we have to understand that. And we, you know, some of them are talking about, you know, wrote my first prescription for metformin because that before it would be, well, I'd send them to an endocrinologist, but it's like, but listen, they're here with me and partly what needs to be managed. So they don't have another heart attack or they don't move to congestive heart is their diabetes. So I'm mm. going to start taking over that care. So they're extremely linked. Yeah. And I'm, I'm assuming a lot of, um, causing a lot of, um, a lot of prescriptions for statin, for statin yep. drugs, for, um, for people with diabetes. Statin, a statin is, a, is a lipid, lipid controlling, um, pharmaceutical to, uh, help lower, um, um LDL cholesterol. And, um, I'm not going to, I'm too sorry. I'm not going to go too scientific on it. Um, the last thing that I wanted to talk with you about is something that is highly linked to something that has littered through our conversation, which is reducing stigma around um, type 2 diabetes specifically, but diabetes in general, but type 2 diabetes, I think, kind of like focus on, um, is uh, Pump Couture, the fashion show mm -hmm. that's going on. Um, yeah, and so, tell us all about that. Yeah, yeah. So um, so we, we did a little pilot of this last year. It's a fundraising event. And it's called pump couture because the pump is your insulin pump or so it's about wearable technology and trying to break through stigma. So uh, again, I keep pointing to my arm. I often wear stuff that covers this because I find if I don't in the summer, if I have it, people are like, is that a nicotine patch or, <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. do you have uh, diabetes and uh, a, a good friend of mine, but you know, said, what is that? I said, it's for my diabetes. He goes, I didn't know you had diabetes. He goes, do you have the one that you caused yourself or the good one? <laughs> and you're like, wow. And I, I okay. was just like, oh, okay. I don't even know where to go with that. And and so then I hide this, right? So this Pump Couture is a fashion show. We're doing it in four cities across the country. And we've got models from seven years old to 76 years old. And it's about being proud about wearing your technology and whether it's a pump or your monitor or something i'm modeling uh, this is not my gig but anyway it's all for a good cause i'm modeling in the toronto one and again modeling like as i said we've got shape sizes um you know all over men women all that kind of stuff but the idea is to raise some money but also to start to say to people if you see someone wearing a device it's okay uh it, it's it doesn't you know, it doesn't have to be something that they need to be embarrassed about and mm -hmm. that the more people know. And and I find now that I actually take the opportunity. I was at a gala last week for life sciences and I, I was checking, you know, trying to decide if I can have a piece of bread at the gala, checking, <laughs> checking my blood sugar. And the guy next to me, a lawyer was like, what, what is that? So I actually took five minutes. I showed him my app. I showed what I was doing. He was like, and he actually emailed me after we exchanged cards. And he's like, thank you for that lesson. I did. I didn't know anything about that. So that's what we're trying to do. I think is just tell people it's normal. It's part of managing a disease. You don't, it's nothing scary. Uh, and if you see something with it, that means those people are actually working hard at mm -hmm. trying to manage the yeah. disease. And so yeah. these fashion shows will raise some money um, and hopefully raise some awareness too. That's that is, so uh, cool. That is awesome. Actually, that. And actually somebody, um, somebody who I know um, through uh, the kind of the yoga scene here in Halifax, um, mm. which I'm involved in is um, reached out to me on Instagram 
uh, a few weeks ago and uh, she has she has diabetes. I can't remember what type she has, but she she reached out and she said, hey, just wanted to let you guys know for podcast purposes, if you, if you guys wouldn't mind like talking about this and, and just like raising like the profile of uh, Pump Couture. Like this is a fashion show. She said she's going to be modeling in it. Um, and And I was like, actually, this was like two days after um, I was emailing back and forth with the comms team at Diabetes Canada. I was like, actually, we're going to have the CEO of Diabetes Canada <laughs> on the show to talk about exactly this. And I just found out about this. And so uh, we're, cool. we're, 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 we're super happy to be able to get the opportunity to sit down with you, Laura. This has been, uh, this has been fantastic. A, a, real, a real treat of a conversation to dive into um, diabetes and the work that Diabetes Canada is, is doing. Um, I think our, our listeners are going to absolutely adore this um, this conversation, and I'm I'm really grateful for you to take the time to to sit down with us and chat. Mm-hmm. Well, and I'm equally grateful to chat about it because it, it is through conversations like this that we're going to change the conversation. And uh, and I'm super excited to hear about the fashion show Pump Couture in Halifax because it's new this year, and we have one in Vancouver, Saskatoon, and Toronto. So we'll see how this goes as i said i'm not a model but i think lots of people aren't models too and it's about you know it's about being proud about what we're doing so thank you so much for the opportunity thank you that is it for this week's edition of routine checkup thank you so much for tuning in folks it means the world to us And if you'd like to continue listening to the podcast, you can do that right here on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And of course, if you want to support the podcast further, you can leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, or you can simply rate the podcast on your Spotify mobile app. And uh, even better than that, why don't you tell someone that you know, tell someone that you love, tell someone that you don't know, that you listen to Sick Boy Podcast and recommend it to them because we always love those extra ears. The podcast is produced and hosted by myself, Jeremy Saunders, Brian Stever, and Taylor McGilvery. The podcast is managed by Jeffrey Lonis at Talent Bureau. The theme music for today's episode comes from Rich O'Coin. Thanks again, folks. Hope you enjoyed it, and we'll be back next week. That's it for now. My name is Jeremy, and this is Sipman. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.